we? Hey, it's great to be here with you. Uh, if you're a guest, I want to give you a warm welcome. We're so glad um, that you are with us this morning. Those of you watching online, glad you're tuned in as well. Um, yeah, we're kicking off a new series today uh, called Check Your Heart. Check Your Heart. And uh, we kind of got this title from comedian John Chris. To those of you who are familiar with comedian John uh, Chris, it's something he says, like, check your heart, man. You need to check your heart, bro. And I don't know. Uh, do you guys see any similarities with John Chris and uh, our youth pastor Tyler by any chance? I'm just curious if <laughs> might have... It's like twinsies or something. I don't, might have been part of the reason we gave it this title. Um, but honestly, there, there's an important point to that, to that expression, check your heart. It's something that we all, all from time to time, really need to, to do. Um, uh, my daughter, Callie, who is six, uh, seems to express in a lot of ways a, a love for Jesus. Uh, well, you know, she'll be sitting in the back seat of the car, and she'll start worshiping, and just singing, just singing songs to Jesus that she's learned here at church, uh, maybe VBS, and uh, she'll quote scripture uh, that she's learned here at Awana, and so there's just a lot of things, and she just, she talks about Jesus, and, and so we know that she, she seems to demonstrate a love for Christ, but we really wanted to have a conversation with her one night, and just really check in with her, and, and see how her relationship with Jesus was going, and, 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 and we wanted to give her an opportunity, if she never had, to, to invite Jesus to come into her life. So Danielle had the conversation. She's in bed. I'm sitting at the foot of the bed. Danielle's talking to her, kneeled down, and uh, gets to the point at the end where she says, Callie, do you want to invite Jesus to come live in your heart? And Callie's eyes got really big, and she said, no, Mom. I don't want Jesus to come into my heart. We're not talking about our physical hearts here, friends. We are talking about our spiritual hearts, okay? Uh, we're talking about checking our spiritual heart, which is at the core of our soul. It's at the center of who we are. Um, maybe in modern day terms, we'd call it our consciousness. You need to understand that's what your heart is. It, it's at the core of your Consciousness, and I find it ironic because we we live in a day and age where people uh, really obsess about their bodies and their health. And don't get me wrong; it's not bad to take care of yourself. Paul says uh, exercise and physical activity has value. He, elsewhere, he says that our bodies are like temples. All right, um, but. Uh, we need to understand that um, the body, while it has, it profits us, you know, feeling healthy and whatnot, it, that the, our spiritual life, our spiritual self, our, our heart is far more important than, than the physical, um, right? We, we know our, our physical body at some point will be laid to rest and will um, stay here on earth, but, but our spiritual is going to live on. And our heart is at the core of our soul. It's at, the, it's at the core of our consciousness and how we experience life itself, whether in this life here on earth or in the life to come. In fact, this is why um, in Proverbs we read this. The wise man says, guard your heart above all else. For it determines the course of your life. 
So above all other things, we are to guard our heart because it's going to determine the course of our life and how we experience life itself. And that can be positive and we can experience joy and peace or that can be negative and we can experience bitterness and things like anger and, and things that rob us of the abundant life Jesus wants for each and every one of us. Okay, so in this series, we're going to be talking about some of these enemies of the heart that we need to guard against that creep in, and sometimes we don't even realize it, how much it's crept in to our heart and is affecting our soul and therefore our very, our very life. We're going to deal with problems like unforgiveness. We're going to deal with things like um, uh, cynicism. Talk about that next week. Um, we're going to deal with things like burnout, okay? So I encourage you to be a part of this series as we check our heart together to see how we're doing so that we can be healthy and we can be whole and experience the abundant life that Christ wants for us. This morning, we're going to kick it off with this topic, the topic of comparison. And we're kicking it off with this one because, friends, this is a very real problem, especially in the age of social media. This is a very prevalent problem that uh, many of us face, okay? Like never before, I should say. Uh, this was many years ago. Um, I was privileged and blessed to be able to take my family out to the West Coast, uh, where we stayed um, not on the beach, but pretty close to the beach. And we would get up in the morning and drive to the beach and spend the day out there, and it was, it was great. It was it was an awesome, uh, you know, time to, to be with family and to be, to be on the beach, uh, enjoy God, enjoying God's creation. Um, but at some point, uh, I, I, I had this desire rise up in, in me um, to, to take a picture of my family with the beach in the background and post it on social media so everybody could see how great my life is. And so I gathered my family and, uh, you know, got the beach just right in the background. What I didn't put in the picture was, you know, my kids fighting on the way to get to the beach in the car and fighting them to take this picture at all. I, I didn't show the rainstorm that had hit the day before. I didn't want anyone to see that. So I got my family out when the sun was shining just right, took the picture, put a filter over it to make it look a little nicer than it actually was. And then I posted it on social media and then sat back and waited for people to validate my life. You know what I'm talking about? Waiting for those likes to start rolling in. And right away, like two, three likes rolled in. I said, oh man, this one's going to be a banger. My life will be complete. People like me. <laughs> and it validates, I guess my vacation is great. And so I did what we kind of do, you know, you post it, you watch it for a few likes to roll in, and then I waited a few hours, but of course I had to get on my phone and check a few hours later to see how I was doing. And as I did that, a friend of mine, more of an acquaintance really, he also was on vacation, and he posted his picture where he was at. And, and he wasn't like here in the U.S. He was actually in the middle of the Caribbean, okay? 
on like some island in the middle of the, the Caribbean. And his, his water, I noticed, was tealer than my water. I, I don't even know if that's a word, tealer, but when you're comparing, it is, right? His water was tealer. He had like that, that, that sugar sand. His beach was nicer. I just had the regular sand. His kids genuinely looked happy. <laughs> they, they weren't doing that thing where they're like smiling for the picture, but. And I'm like, of course, his water's tealer, his speech is nicer. And then to top it all off, he was wearing like these swim trunks that were not quite a Speedo, just a little bit longer. And he made them work, okay? It's like, I could never wear swim trunks like that. And Danielle would never let me, all right? And, and just like that, looking at a picture, just seeing his trip and where he was at, just like that, it tainted my trip just a little bit. And all of a sudden, my trip wasn't as great as it had started off. Friends, it's amazing what comparison can do to us, how it can affect our lives, okay? And if you're a person who struggles with comparison, I just want you to know this. I, you're not alone. We all, to some level, struggle with this issue. And like I said, especially in the social media age, and I'm not saying social media is bad in of itself. It, it's a tool, okay, that we can use, and it can be good or bad, but it does make this issue something we have to deal with like never before, because it's so easy to compare our lives with others when we see what's going on in everyone's life uh, around us, and, and if you struggle with this, just know this is something that even Jesus' disciples struggled with. I mean, these are people who walked with Jesus for three years, day and night, and even after the resurrection, still struggled with comparing themselves with one another. In fact, we have this great story in John 21. This is after the resurrection. And Peter, at this point, is feeling like a loser. He's feeling like an absolute failure. Why? Because at the trial for Jesus, um, if you remember, he denied Christ three times, saying he didn't even know the man. And so even though Jesus has risen from the dead, Peter is still feeling like a failure, okay? But Jesus, being the gracious and compassionate uh, God-man that he is, is going to wrap his arms around Peter, and he's going to have that conversation, Peter, do you love me? He's going to ask Peter that three times. Do you love me, Peter? Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, of course, Lord, you know I love you. And then, and, then, and then Jesus is going to reinstate Peter to a leadership position, saying, okay, feed my sheep. But then he's going to go on to say this, and I want us to, to see this this morning. He says, very truly, I tell you, Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Okay, so what's going on here? Jesus is telling Peter he's going to die the death of a martyr. 
Okay? He's going to die for his faith in, in, in Christ. That he's going to die a terrible death. That's what he's telling Peter. And why would he tell Peter this? I, I don't really know. Maybe for a couple reasons. Maybe one. Uh, maybe it's because he knows Peter's feeling bad for having denied him. And maybe this is an opportunity to say, Peter, you're going to have a chance to redeem yourself. And, and give your life for me after all. Maybe. Uh, or, or maybe it's just, it, this is something, this was a fear. Fear of the unknown. And Peter, and, and maybe he just wanted to lay the cards out on the table for Peter. Peter, this is what's coming, okay? This is what's going to happen. And maybe that allowed Peter in some ironic way to live his life to the fullest, knowing what was before him and what his purpose was. We, we really don't know why Jesus tells Peter this, but here's what happens next. Look at this. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Okay? Uh, this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? Now, we know who this is. This is John. This is the one who has written the gospel that we are reading from right now. And don't you love how John puts this? The disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> that is me. Now, there's probably a context to that, okay? Uh, Jesus and John did have, seem to have a special kind of bond, okay? And so there's probably a context here why John says that and would be identified that way. But look at what happens in verse 21. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? He going to die a terrible death too? Oh, you love him. How about John, Jesus? Is he going to die a martyr's death as well? Friends, that's what's going on here. Peter is comparing himself to John and wanting to know if John, the one that Jesus loves, is going to suffer like he does. And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, Peter, what is that to you? You must follow me. Okay, so Jesus is looking at Peter saying, Peter, you keep your eyes right here. You keep your eyes on me. You follow me. Stop comparing yourself and worrying how I'm working in other people's life. Clearly, Jesus doesn't want his disciples, and Jesus doesn't want you and me today comparing ourselves to other people. And what I want to do today is I want to give us four reasons, okay, why, why comparison is so deadly. Four reasons why, why comparison is so dangerous for our hearts and why this is something we really need to check our hearts about, okay? Here's the, here's the first reason I would give you. First off, it's because it kills contentment. Comparison will kill contentment in your life. I want you just to imagine a scenario with me for a minute. Imagine that you grow up in the jungle somewhere, okay? And, and you grow up in maybe like a little hut with a, with a mud floor. You, you don't have like a dry roof over your head so when it rains, like it leaks. You have to go hunt food. If you're going to eat, you have to go hunt down whatever you're going to eat. And some of you aren't eating well. You're known as the village vegetarian, right? Because you're not hunting so well. Everything you do is survival and a fight to just get through the day. And this is the life 
that you live. When God shows up and takes you out of that and puts a dry roof over your head, might be an apartment, might be a condo, might be a house, I don't know, but it's, it's a dry roof over your head, and he puts a clean floor, maybe a wooden floor of some kind, like a floor underneath your feet. Then he gives you a job and a way to make money where you can go and you can actually buy food from a store. You don't have to hunt anymore. It's mostly prepared for you when you bring it home. And he gives you a car some, or some kind of means of transportation to get around. And here you are in your house. Here you are with a job. You got, you got at least a, a day or two off a week to live your life. Food is prepared for you. You're, you, you, you got a transportation. You get, you're taking hot showers. You got plumbing. You would think you were a king or a queen. You got taken out of that, and you get put in that. You would think you had died and gone to heaven, right? And yet that's how most of us live. That's what most of us have. And yet most of us don't walk around feeling like kings or queens. Why is that? I would argue it's because we compared ourselves to other people and we saw someone or others who had more than we did and it tainted what we have right in front of us. Friends, are we seeing comparison? When we compare, it kills contentment in us. That's what it does. You know, Paul had learned, said he had learned the secret of being a contented person. Because some of us will say, well, I don't have much. I don't have as much as other people have. And see, you think you're making the mistake of thinking it's a circumstantial issue, what you have or don't have. And I'm telling you, it's not. It's a matter of the heart. How do I know that? Because I want you to see something the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. It's not based on my circumstances. Whether well-fed or hungry. Whether living in plenty or in want. Sometimes Paul lived with a need in his life. Uh, with want in his life. But he said he had learned the secret of being content. And then verse 13 says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And uh, many of us know that passage. We often quote this passage out of its, its proper context. What Paul is really saying here is, I have learned how to have joy and life in me no matter what my circumstance in life is. He said, I have learned the secret of contentment. Friends, it's not a circumstance issue. This is a heart issue. Paul says he had learned the secret, and at the end of this message, I'll tell you what I think the secret he learned was. Okay? But that's the first thing I want us to see. The first reason it's so dangerous and deadly to our lives comparing ourselves with others is because it kills contentment in us. The second reason is because it produces pride in us. When you compare yourself, either one of two things is going to happen. Okay? You're going to either find yourself feeling inferior to someone else or you're going to find yourself feeling superior to someone else. It's either one of the two. You're going to either find yourself feeling 
better or you're going to find yourself feeling worse. That's when we compare. That's what we're doing. We're trying to see how our life ranks. Um, and obviously it's wrong, and we, we would all admit that it's wrong to, to find ourselves, right? I think we would say to, to, to puff ourselves up and feel you'd be superior um, over others. But I, I was thinking this week about how dangerous it is just feeling inferior to others. Another word for that is insecure. Feeling like we're lacking something. We're missing something in our life. And a mistake that we would make, that we might make, is thinking that uh, when we feel inferior or insecure, we're humble. Not necessarily. It could lead to humility in your life. But here's what I often find. I often find that insecurity fuels pride in our life. Insecurity often fuels something in us to want to find some way to puff ourselves up over somebody else. You ever done this? You ever, you ever seen somebody that like has something that deep down you want, but you find yourself kind of like playing it down? Somebody, you know, maybe has a big house and you're like, man. I would want that house. Can you imagine cleaning that? <laughs> mo' money, mo' problems. When deep down, most of us would welcome those problems. <laughs> These are things we say, right? Can you believe the dress she's, she's wearing? Right? She probably has a terrible personality. Look at those swim trunks he's wearing. <laughs> Next year, he'll be wearing a Speedo. <laughs> Deep down, I wish I could wear those swim trunks. I'm not going to lie. This is what's going on in our hearts. Like, we wish, and so we start playing it down. What are we doing? We're trying to puff ourselves up and make ourselves feel better over someone else. Now, don't get me wrong. To have wealth and to have those things and to boast in those things is also wrong. But I think... For many of us, we don't realize how it's our insecurity and it's our feeling inferior that leads us to puff ourselves up over the other. Sometimes we even do this with spirituality, right? Trying to find ways to use our faith and our spirituality to make ourselves feel better and more righteous than, than, other, than other people. But here's the problem with that, friends. I want you to see something that the Bible says, and it says this a lot. It says this over and over again. This is a major theme of the Bible. Uh, twice in Proverbs 16, we read this, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. You see this, when we puff ourselves up, this is not something, this is not behavior God will bless, okay? And then, and then a few verses earlier, it's even worse than that. I mean, this is pretty blunt. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They, they will not go unpunished. Um, one of the things that I have learned, and you can call this a secret of God, you can call this a principle, a law, is when we speak against how God has blessed other people's lives, we can just about guarantee that God will not bless ours. That when we speak against other people and the blessings they have received, 
we can just about guarantee that we're going to miss out on God than blessing us. God's going to say, okay, you don't want money? Okay, I'll honor that in your life. Okay, you don't want a nicer home? Okay, I'm going to honor that in your life. Okay, and so when we do this, you need to understand, call it a law, call it what you want, but I have found that when we speak out against how God has blessed others, it robs us of God blessing us. I wonder what would just happen if we started to rejoice with others when they're blessed. Probably why Paul in Romans 12 says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Friends, I want you to experience God's abundant blessing in your life. And it comes in many different ways. But I'm telling you, the key is to start rejoicing when we see God's blessing in other people's lives. Otherwise, it's going to produce pride in us, okay? And it's going to lead to this, this third danger um, of, of comparison, which is it causes us to covet. You're going to start to want, okay, what other people have. The word covet is also synonymous with the, the idea of envy, and, and it simply means wanting what other people have. And you think about all the laws in the Bible, all the commandments in the Bible um, that were given, this one makes the top ten. I'm talking about the Ten Commandments. We read this in, 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 in Exodus 20. This is the Tenth Commandment. God says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, you could add husband there, or his male or female servant. Think employees if you're a business owner or if you're a church leader. Got to be serious. I, I don't want to look at other churches. Oh, look at the staff they got. I can imagine the ministry they got. Yeah. Saying, don't do that. His ox or donkey. Okay. <laughs> it might be someone's car. <laughs> They're driving. I don't know. Or anything, anything that belongs to your neighbor. Friends, this is coveting. And, and, and sometimes we see God as like, why does he give us all these rules and we got these desires in our hearts. And do you realize God's giving us this to protect us? To guard, help us guard our hearts? God is, gives us these commandments to give us the path of life. The path that's going to lead us to experiencing the most joy in this world. So friends, he's giving us this to, to protect us. Um, because here's the bottom line coveting, being envious will make you a miserable person. And, and it'll cause you to miss out on, on the many blessings God has put in your life. I want you to imagine the scenario. Again, last uh, week was Easter, and so we always do an Easter egg hunt with our kids. I want you to imagine that my son comes downstairs, and I give him an Easter basket with 10 eggs in it. And these 10 eggs have his favorite candies in it, the candies that he loves. And he's like, oh, my goodness, thank you, Dad. Thanks for, for all this candy. But then his sister comes down. And his sister has 11 eggs. He's going to look at me and he's going to say, Dad, that's not. You know about this. why did she get more than me, than I did? Yeah. And just a moment ago, 10 eggs filled with excitement, so thankful. Sister gets one more egg, which has almond joys, and he doesn't even like almond joys. And now 
He can't even enjoy the 10 eggs he's got. Do you see how comparing ourselves and coveting makes us miserable? It makes us miserable people. Uh, Proverbs, again, says this. It says, a heart at peace means a heart that's content and secure, gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Your bones are your foundation. It's at the core. It's the idea of your heart. It's the core of who you core of who you are. And some of us, we go through our entire life this way. We go through our entire life seeing someone's job, wishing we had that job. Someone's car, wishing we had that car. Someone's house, wishing we had that house. Someone's marriage, wanting, wishing we had that kind of marriage, which we've only seen on social media, by the way, where everyone's smiling and happy. And we go through our entire life that way, and then you know what happens? We die. And we spent our entire life wishing we had what other people had. What a miserable state to be in. And this is why God warns us in the Ten Commandments, don't go there. It's madness. Which brings us to the last reason it's so deadly. It agitates and it angers. It agitates and it angers. Let's be honest. When we start comparing ourselves to others, wanting what they have, and then we don't get it, We find ourselves getting angry at God. We find ourselves getting angry at other people. In fact, technically, this is what jealousy, the word jealousy means. Jealousy is not just envy. Jealousy is when you want what someone else has, you don't have it, so you grow resentful towards that person. Jealousy has an anger, uh, an element of anger and resentment in it. And uh, do you ever find yourself doing this? I mean, let's just be honest for a second. That guy, that, that, that guy you're, you're jealous of, and, and, and you're like, oh, he fell? He tripped in front of all those people? Really? Did he hurt his face? <laughs> How bad was it? I mean, if, if we were all honest, we all find ourselves at times secretly Somewhat rejoicing when people we're jealous of have things not go so well in in their lives. And ultimately what it affects is our relationship with God himself. And now we see why this is so deadly. Friends, comparison will cause, will affect your relationship with God and you'll find yourself. Because we all kind of recognize God is the one who pours out blessing. God is the one who gives the gifts. And when we don't get them, we'll find ourselves even growing agitated and angry at God. And I find it interesting if you go back to the Garden of Eden, Satan used comparison, right, to get Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. Do you remember what he said? If you eat this, what? Then you will be like God. And you can have everything God has. He used comparison with God to get them. Oh, yeah, we want what God has. It's so interesting. We see comparison all the way back. In the garden, one of the first sins. All right, so we, we see the danger with this and, and how deadly it can be. I don't think many of us want to be discontented people. We don't want to be pride-filled people that God is opposing and we're missing out on blessing. We don't want to be people wanting constantly what other people have and walking miserably through this world. And we certainly don't want to be agitated, angry people at God and at others. That's no way to live our lives. So, so what do we do? do. Okay, I I said earlier I was going to show you what I think Paul's secret was. 
Paul's secret to being a contented person, especially when we're lacking something or we do feel like there's something in our life that's missing and something maybe we see in other people's lives but not in our own. Look at what Paul is going to say to us in Philippians 4. And if this is up on the screen, I want you to read this with me, okay? Uh, just, Just see what I'm reading here. Paul says this. He says, do not be anxious about anything. He says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. But I just confused some of you, didn't I? Because I skipped something. Two key words in there. With thanksgiving. Okay? So what is Paul saying here? Paul's saying, yes, you're going to have needs at times. You're going to have wants at times. What do you do? You come before God and you pray and you ask him for those things you need. But you never forget to do it thanking him for what he's already blessed you with. And I believe for Paul, and this is just my reading Paul, who talks about thanksgiving and gratitude over and over and over again. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, listen to this. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So this is a major element of Paul's theology. How had he learned when there was something lacking in his life, when he had a need or a want? He would go to God and pray about it, but never without giving God thanks for what was already before him and what God had blessed him with. Friends, this is the key. This is the secret. Learning to be people who give God thanks. In fact, another way we could say it, I'm going to say it this morning, we've got to become a church of people who learn to start practicing praise. We got, we got to become people of praise, people who practice it, all right? Uh, I, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, sometimes the grass is greener on the other side. Just look at my yard and my neighbor's. My neighbor mows his grass like three times a day in the summer. He actually fertilizes it. Some of you do this. His grass is greener, okay? But we have started to have a little bit of a weed problem. And we've decided we got to do something about this this year. So we started like researching how to take care of our lawn, how we're going to get our our lawn finally green this year and do a better job getting rid of the weeds. And here's what I found. And those of you who take care of your yard, you know this. Apparently, if you get richer, thicker grass, it begins to do what? Choke out the weeds. So the weeds can't grow. The thicker your grass gets, the more it will choke out the weeds. Friends, do you understand that when we develop hearts that are filled with praise, it begins to choke out the weeds of comparison and envy? This is what praising God will do for us. And one of the reasons I love coming to church every Sunday is because we get an opportunity to worship We get an opportunity to say, thank you, God, for what you've done in my life. And I believe when we're together, the spirit moves in an extra powerful way. will even trigger thoughts and memories and things he's done in our life that leads to us giving him the praise he deserves. And I know there's mornings where I walk in and I'm not really feeling it. But then that music kicks in and I take that first step of saying, okay, God, I'm going to I'm going to start practicing praise and I'm going to give you thanks. And I'm telling you, that's when the spirit kicks in. Those of you who know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about, right? 
So when you finally start to engage, that's when the spirit kicks in. And next thing you know, your heart's filled with joy and your heart's filled with life. And you're sitting there going, thank you, God, you're better than I thought when I first walked in. That's what practicing praise does in our life. So there's moments in my marriage even when Danielle and I will feel overwhelmed, stressed. We've been comparing ourselves, seeing things on social media, feeling like we're missing out. We, we've now made it a, a commitment when, when that happens, we're going to stop whatever we're doing and we're going to say, okay, right now, what are we going to give God praise for in our life? And here's what happens. When you start practicing praise and doing that, the atmosphere starts to change. It starts to change in your home. It starts to change in your family. It'll change in your car. Because here's what's happening. You're changing. You're hearing Jesus say, hey, 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 don't worry about it. You follow me and the purpose I have for your life. And your focus goes where it needs to go, which is on Christ. And so what do we have to give God thanks for this morning? What do we have to give him some praise for this morning? If you got a dry roof over your head, you could give him some praise. If you got a means of transportation, you could give him some praise. If you have a spouse, maybe who's sometimes difficult to live with, I'm going to encourage you, focus on what are the good qualities about your spouse. And if you're single and you'd like to be married, maybe you could give God praise for just the time to serve him and to invest in his kingdom, like Paul. Besides those things, friends, what we all have today, do you know what we all have if we are in Christ? We have the gospel means Jesus has died for our sin. He's paid the price. He's laid it in the grave. And you and I are off the hook for all eternity. This God comes and lives with sinners like you and me and enters into our life. And when we fail, he walks alongside of us and says, hey, I'm here to walk with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And then when this life ends, what do we got? We got the greatest inheritance of all. Friends, the best is still yet to come. I think we all have a reason to give God, to give Jesus some thanks this morning. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> You're so, so good. So this is what I want to do. I'm going to end this morning, and I'm just going to quote Psalm 100 for us. You know, David had his challenges. He had his struggles, man, but he came back to praise and giving thanks. Psalm 100 says, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord in gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His love endures forever. And his faithfulness continues through all generations. Let's stand and give God some praise this morning. Amen? Come on.